This is Religion and Theology, a podcast from the Center for Theology and Religious Studies. This is the third episode from the concluding conference on the research project Integration and Tradition, the Making of the Syriac Orthodox Church in Sweden. In this episode, Dr. Magdalena Lundin will present a paper on the topic Family and the Transmission of Traditions in the Syriac Orthodox Church in Sweden. And immediately afterwards we will hear a response from Dr. Astrid Krabbe-Trolle. And I hand over the word to Andreas Westergren, who will introduce the speakers. Welcome to this afternoon's session, uh, during which we will listen to uh, our project coordinator, Dr. Magdalena Nordin from Gothenburg University, and have a response from Dr. Astrid Krabbe-Trolle from Roskilde University, who has worked with uh, Catholic uh, uh, congregations in, in Denmark. I'm very much looking forward to both your uh, uh, input. The title of Magdalena's presentation is Family and the Transmission of tra- Traditions in the Syriac Orthodox Church in Sweden. Thank you. Uh, okay, uh, I will present uh, upstarting a thoughts that I have, or I would say like this, when from the first observations, one of the first ones, or the first, second, or third one, I realized that I can't continue, I can't, can't not write about family in this context. It was, for me, there was so much family going on in the church, in the observations, and also in the interviews, came back to family all the time. So I realized that family, family is important here in this one sense or another. Um, as a sociologist, I have not, uh, not as a researcher at all, I have not worked with the concept, the idea of family before. So I have kind of tried to read and, and get kind of know more about how is family used in the sociological uh, discipline. Uh, and, and I was kind of strange, I was surprised when I realized why, why, haven't, uh, why, why haven't I seen family and known about family? I mean, I've been researching um, my religion and migration for many years now, and family has never come up as a concept. And when I read, started to read research, I realized that it's not that very, what, maybe I read too little, but, but it's not that very common. It's in sociology you find family, family of sociology of family, that's kind of like sociology of religion, a huge area. But not that much family in sociology of religion and family, I couldn't find that much. Um, and it surprised me, and I maybe have, I have to maybe go further and see if I re- read everything wrong and, and didn't find the kind of where it is. Um, so that surprised me, but then also maybe I can come with something, can bring something into the sociology of religion and into family, sociology of family, try and combine these two. Um, and I have started to do my analysis. I, I've reread uh, the um, observation protocols and the interviews, but it's still, I'm sorry to say, work in progress. Uh, it's not something that can be published tomorrow, but that 
makes the, the good a good thing about that is then you can help me to make it even better or make it good be- good maybe even it, you you just be open just be don't hesitate to say that this is wrong or this we don't understand or because that will kind of be good to have it now and not later on when I try to get the article published and they will kind of refuse it. So help me uh, to make this um, uh, understandable. I will start with, with doing sociology, so those of you who kind of not very familiar or don't like sociology, you can continue to do your uh, emails. Uh, don't chat, uh, because that will kind of be disturbing. Um, so go through my DIY family, and then I will give you some examples from, from the empirical material, but but not that much that could I hope to, to have managed by now. I, I read too much sociology, maybe, uh, but it was so interesting. Okay, um, so family and the transmission of religious traditions, and that is also where I kind of families there, uh, the idea of family and what's the re- family relation I have. But I'm still struggling with, can I say anything about this transmission of traditions? Uh, because how how do you see? transmission of religion. <laughs> I can see it, can hear it in interviews, I can hear people mentioning that they did things, but it's going on all the time. Being there, the transmission is going on. The, the um, place is also kind of the church. Uh, as you know by now, we didn't do that much interviews. The focus was on the congregations, uh, so we don't have that much. We've been some interviews at home, at people's home. But what's going on at home, I don't, I have, we haven't looked into, really, and I want to show that here. So the, the realm is the church. Uh, most, both symbolically, but very much the church, uh, materially the church. Um, so why family? Well, um, it is one of the most important structures. We may p- talk about postmodern societies and, and people live by themselves or, or family is not important and mayor everyone is an individual living by themselves. This is not happening still. Maybe in the long run, the postmodern society, we will all be individuals uh, and have no families, but it's very important. Um, and I would also argue that it is kind of maybe the link between the individual and society. In an in a analytical sense, it, it's easy to, to say that because then kind of that's what happens. But family kind of inter, is the link between individual and society. But I think it's also still an important link. Family is where you kind of, it's catch between the society. It does something. It is a very fixed structure where you, you, you construct yourself in a sense. And I, I work with um, Giddens' idea of the structuration theory, kind of individual will influence society, society will in, in influence individual, and in the middle then I put a family as the transmitter between these, as the link between individual and society. And uh, we can talk about if it is the crucial link or if you have other ideas. Maybe the congregation could be the or a link between, um, but, but I use family in the congregation as this link. Um, and also there's kind of Family is there in all societies as a, a structure. Um, and also um, the, a decisive uh, intermediate, uh, intermediate between them. And as, as uh, Femea says, that family cannot be ignored when within the field of religious studies. 
So I just follow that. Other maybe have ignored it, but I won't. I will follow him. Um, and then also kind of the, the functions of Hamley are closely related to functions of religion. So I think that's also very interesting. Religion is also kind of a, have these family functions. Uh, so it's also very interesting to combine these two. It's been very interesting to read this. And also both family and religion are formally developed structures. They are there for real. It's not only analytical <laughs> ideas that we have, but they're formal structures. All societies have, have an idea that we should have families. They are understand it this way. All societies have religions as kind of formally developed structures. So both of them are kind of in every society that we know of. Um, so that I've already said. Uh, and why is then kind of is it so, and this is also what I would like to go further with, is it so that family has taken over the functions of religion? So in a modern and postmodern society, can we talk about family taking over this function? And for me, then it's interesting in what way and how does family kind of, if it's kept in the, in the, in the religions, in that structure, how does family work there? So it's a dynamic going on there that I think is interesting. Uh, and also then kind of, I wouldn't agree really with, with that traditional uh, uh, that traditional religion. They do lose impact, but they're still there, and that's what we have studied. So it's interesting to see if we say that family kind of is taking over what religion's done, but if we have still religions, what is happening with family then? Being inside the religions, but also kind of outside. Um, so as, as we have from, from guests here, the expression of religious ideas and values are served for the person and the family realm. So that religions are in the family, but the family in this case is in the church. You follow me? Um, so um, this we have said, and then uh, the definition of family then. Uh, so um, to be a family is kind of from this, we can, I'll try to give definition of it, but uh, it's about close uh, kinship structures built on em emotional bonds. And everyone who knows sociology knows what happens then. These are important. You're socialized into them. You can't leave them that easily. They will be there for the rest of your life. Uh, so this is the strong social belongings that family causes. Uh, that's kind of what family is, <laughs> in a sense. Uh, promote socialization, both primary and secondarily. You don't kind of... Even if you leave your first family, the first family will continue into your next family. Uh, and also kind of examples can be the families between adults and children and between spouses. And there we have kind of a small family to show that. Um, um, do you have that one? No, I love that. This, um, so family can then be a small, a uh, social structure made of close, strong, lasting, emotional, mutual, grounded kinship. That kind of, the idea of family. And this can be kind of also, but doesn't have to be. But very often if we talk about families also that they live together and that they share household. But uh, extended family, less and less of these things are part of it. Uh, and this shared household activities can then be preparing food, eating, sleeping, and then also economic cooperation. And that economic cooperation also kind of stretches more than 
the small family unit can stretch over generations, for example. And that could also be with living together. So we have nuclear families, and then we have kind of walking out of that more distantly extended household and also all the way to kinship groups. Uh, and I will elaborate with this kind of idea of family. Uh, so we can talk about the conjungal family, the small unit, uh, and then we have the nuclear family, and then we have other extended relations. Uh, already in the 40s, uh, Parsons talked about family. It's been part of sociology for times. And he talked about it as the onion principle. And now as it is in the afternoon, and we've been sitting and listening for a long time, I have done an illustration a pedagogical illustration of this family structure built up a series of layers um, of family relations with the conjungal family relations at the center. So here we go. So this is the onion, family onion. We have the family, the whole onion, the couple in the middle, the center. And then you have the nuclear family a little farther out. And everyone now understands what I'm talking about. Yeah. So if you kind of didn't follow anything until now, you will see the onion family there. This illustration. Yeah? No questions about it's no it's a, it's a red onion. I, it's no I, I never it, it was a nice picture. It's not a grown up. Uh, no, no, it's the onion. It's, it's a red onion. Finally yeah. on track. <laughs> you, no, you understand. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay. So what will I do then? Well my aim and research questions would be uh, to understand a family function as a transnational social structure when religious traditions are being negotiated in a religious setting going through a process of integration. A lot of words. Um, what I still struggle with is kind of this ending part of it. Is kind of what can I say anything about integration processes here? Or is it just uh, transmission of traditions in, in uh, whatever church uh, or religious organization? Um, so I have kind of, I think I have some clues that yes, we can say something about being kind of a, a, a church, that the Syriac Orthodox Church is also a church that goes through these processes of, of establishing themselves and keeping tradition and changing tradition as, as Andreas and, and my other colleagues has talked about. Um, and also the idea of family is it kind of a different idea of family in the church that we have in the rest of society that I've also kind of, I, I'll see if I can say, come to something there, but I think there will be things to say. So in the realm of the Syriac Orthodox Church in Sweden, how is the transmission of religious traditions between family members being done? So what I will show you today is what social relations are part of this, and I'll try to say in what way, but this is also where I still don't know if I will manage to say anything about it, but then I just I say, I say to my students, then I'll just take away that part. Uh, and then in the transmission of religious traditions among family members in the church. So I'll give you a scene. Where does this take part? Well, it's, it's in the three congregations that we studied. Uh, so these are large congregations, uh, more than 300 members, and many are active, as you heard from the other presentations, that these are kind of vital congregations where a lot of things go, going on. On an ordinary Sunday liturgy, we will have, see, about 50, 50 people in the church in, the, in summer day in June, <laughs> and up to 150, maybe also 200. 
if we have large kind of religious celebrations, it can be up to 700 people. So these are kind of, there are a lot of families there <laughs> in different ways. So it's not one or two persons sitting there doing liturgy. It's a lot of family things going on. Um, they have all of them have employed priests, as you have heard, uh, and then the rest of the people involved in this community life are, are lay persons, uh, which is not really true, uh, I realize, because they all have employed people taking care of the, what's that in English, um, the church building and cleaning up, and, and so So there are other people I have to change a little bit. Um, and these are, as you already know about then, uh, uh, board members, the deacons only men, choirs mostly women, we have youth groups, children groups, groups for elderly people and women group. And why I include this is because I want to show that this transmission of, of tradition is going on not only during liturgy, not in kind of in, in close connection to liturgy, this is going on in teaching, in, in meet board meetings or when the choir is practicing. So I want to kind of make you aware of that, that traditions are transmitted in many different settings uh, in these congregations and probably in other congregations, I think, that where you, they are not that different from others. Um, the church building, um, where the focus is in the church building, uh, a large church buildings. A lot of people can, can enter in these churches. As you heard before, men and women sit separately to the left and the right side. So that's kind of also important to bring, uh, to bring into this transmission of traditions. And then they also have other facilities, other rooms where you have meetings, both for practices and office or for the meetings afterwards, for example. And you have fika, the coffee, afterwards. Um, membership is can be individual, but it's often a family membership. And this is also important to understand. The family is kind of seen as the way that you're part of the church. We, there is a discussion going on in the church that uh, why do we have family membership? And we asked why family membership? And when, when do you, what is a family? <laughs> and do you have kind of, can your grandchildren also be part of the family? So, and, and I know that this is, is talked about in the church, but, but the concept of family membership it's there and it's also practiced. You pay a family membership for your family, whatever that is then. Uh, and family in the interviews were kind of seen as something good, something that you strive for, that you should have, that you kind of, you wanted your children to, to be married and most desirable to someone else in the church. So that was a narrative that we heard of a lot. Of course, there are other examples too, but it's a narrative that was very often brought up. That I want my children to be married, they should have a family, and it should be kind of, it would be really nice if it was another person from the church. Saying that, of course, the parents wouldn't kind of not accept their children when they, in the end, married someone else. <laughs> but this was kind of a desire, uh, but they talked very nicely about their, um, daughters-in-law and sons-in-law that were not part of the church, too. Um, and in the church family, it's also seen as important. Divorce is possible, but you have to be aware of that it's also, if a couple want to divorce, the church come in and try to, to mediate and help out that the divorce won't happen or will happen smoothly. So kind of, um, the church is involved in this idea of the family to a large extent. And, um, same-sex couples are not seen as a way to, to construct a family. Uh, 
the, that is the official uh, saying that we heard many times. So, uh, do I still have time? <laughs> yep. Um, so, uh, I will then say something about uh, these social relations that are involved, but I just want to start with place. So, where is this taking place? Um, so, the church I've mentioned, there is where I start. Uh, so, we have the church room in liturgy, in other celebrations. In the church room, there are a lot of social relations going on. And unfortunately, we have 50 hours of recordings, so I can watch these relations uh, for the rest of my life. Uh, I'll have to kind of decide what, what to watch. Um, and then there's a lot of things going on in the lobby. You know that all of you have been to, to a Syriac Orthodox liturgy. People coming and leaving, run. the priest could be leaving the room during, during liturgy and the deacons walk back and forth and the, and the board members and the choir could come until 10 minutes before the liturgy stops and, uh, and people are kind of doing. Traditions are, I would say, also transmitted in this things going on in the lobby. Um, and then you also have in the meeting rooms, um, both those going on in relation to liturgy when you meet afterwards, or Sunday school that some of the congregations have, but also in, uh, during other times in the week when you have practices, for example, or board meetings, or choir, uh, choirs or meetings. So um, we have to dis I, I want to kind of separate between what's going on when we have liturgy and what's going on in church building outside of liturgy. But we also have church gatherings in the church room that is not liturgy. So yeah, you know all these things. Um, so the most kind of obvious one when we talk about transmission and, and, and uh, of religious traditions between, uh, mem between people is kind of the written master and the community. That's kind of the idea in a sense, I would say, to be kind of taking part, participating in liturgy, and you have the priest or, or if it's other settings uh, communicating religious traditions. So that's kind of uh, where, where the transmission is going on. Uh, and I'll come back to that because uh, there's also interesting parts there. And then you have a more, uh, one of these that we know of where this transmission goes on. Uh, we know that from, from sociology, from every sociology of religion is parents and the children. So they from the first day, before children are born. <laughs> if, you go, if you go to church before that, the children will know the sound from the church, for example. Um, and then, if we then go back to, this, this, to the family onion, um, that you know by now, uh, we then have what I will look into is kind of what's going on in family, uh, the center, the couple in the center of the onion, uh, and then parents and the children. Uh, but not in the church, the church room. Not that much. Obviously, transmission of traditions are going on. Uh, but also uh, grandparents coming in here. So we have both uh, a relation and transmission of traditions from grandchildren to grandparents, but we also have these three generations, kind of children, parents in between, and grandparents, where we can see things going on. And then, um, how much time do I have? How much can I elaborate in all of this? Whatever. Seven minutes. Seven minutes, yeah. Uh, I'll, if I can go back then if I have time. And then what struck me when I read this was also the priests also have a family. And how that 
kind of was part of what's going on in church. So how he, for example, could, it could be a sh short, the, the, the liturgy could be a little shorter because the priest was, has to go and, and get a family member at the airport. So the liturgy was shorter. And that, of course, then will change uh, this transmission. But also the members of the family of the priest was also part, very much part of the liturgy and, and kind of influenced what was going on. So, so if they were there or not there, what they would do if, if the wife of the, the priest was there or not, that would influence the idea of, of the priest and the liturgy. So I, I would like to elaborate more on that. And then on the same time, remembering the question it was from you, I think, how much can I tell? Uh, in this case, I can tell very little, because if I would start to say write about the priest and, and his family, it will be very easy for these 60, well, 48 priests that we have in Sweden to realize which, which congregation it is about, if I say too much. So maybe I have to skip that one, but I'll see. And then I think one important aspect is also and I think this may be unique if we talk about a transmission of, of, of tradition in the church. In the church, this is a unique setting because it was very much about relating to the deceased ones, to family members. Very often with this photo in front and the liturgy, with candles, with the family, uh, with the family of the deceased in front of the church, and also during the coffee break afterwards, they would have their own table. People will come and talk to them and, and, and uh, uh, what do you say in, in English, commemorate and, say, and, and getting up to them. And, and also, very, it wasn't seldom that the family of grief was the one who was inviting for the church, for the coffee afterwards. Uh, so they kind of had the, this kind of, the deceased one was part of it in very interesting ways that I also will elaborate more on. So let's see if I can then. Um, yeah, then we go back to the family onion. Now we go a little further out on the layers. You see my pedagogical, my illustration. So now we skip the conjugal family and we go out to kind of um, how transmission of religion was seen uh, between children and other adults during liturgy. Uh, so they very often helped the children, said to the children what to do, both in church, but also in the lobby, that you should kind of be quiet and before you enter. And there was a lot of relations going on between the community, adult community and whatever child that was there uh, doing whatever thing. And we have an example of a girl on her way up to the altar, a small girl, and a woman from the choir just stopped her. Don't stop. And that wasn't kind of, well, it could be her, her mother, but I don't think so because I didn't, didn't seem to be, I know a lot of the family. So, so that's kind of where they uh, work together, uh, children and other adults. And then peers, uh, friends, and that was going on the children, mostly in the lobby that hang together with other children. Uh, the youth groups, they had strong youth groups and they had strong relations and they worked together helping out the liturgy with the practical things around liturgy. So they also kind of had their relations further out in the family union, <laughs> uh, but important ones. And then the adults, uh, where I would, I would say um, that we can discuss where the choir has shapes this kind of family, if we talk about the outer layers of the union, maybe the strongest one, not in the same sense I would say as the deacon had, 
so as Andrea said and as you said, the choir is kind of a, a family. The talk kind of, it, it was sounds like a family for many of these women and it was empowering uh, them. Uh, um, could you let them in? And then the last one, uh, no family, no kind of um, family in, this, in the heart of the union, but uh, the community, for those who don't, didn't go to liturgy, who did go to liturgy without family, the community, I would say, came to be a family maybe in a stronger sense than the others. Um, so, what are the kind of um, uh, the results here? Um, I will, I've tried, and this is kind of where you can say this is, don't work, uh, skip this one, uh, it's, you, can't, you can't think like this. But I've tried to see, like, where have you strong and weak relations? And I would say the conjugal family is a weak uh, relation when it comes to transmission of, of religion. Uh, for example, the one reason for this is that the, the couple are sitting separately. So they are not directly in relation of kind of transmitting traditions during liturgy. Uh, so in, in the uh, in the sign for, for peace, for example, they don't touch each other, they, can't, they maybe not even look at each other. Uh, I, haven't, I have to watch the recordings for that. Um, and then I think there's kind of parents and children, and I haven't, I had an example of what's going on with the grandparents. We have senior groups in one of the congregations. Uh, so they come to the meeting room and then they go to the church for prayer and then the kind of grandparents are there helping out with that. So there is a connection. Uh, so I think that's a little stronger. Um, and then the family of the priest, yes, it, it has importance, I would say. It's a strong, uh, semi-strong one. Uh, the family deceased, I would say that. I would argue that it's a strong one. Uh, children and other adults are kind of over there. And peers, I would also say that they are strong ones. Uh, and then the choir is maybe the strongest one, but of course this can be discussed. So, and um, then no family and the community. That's kind of, yeah, we can talk about that. I will be happy to see you. you. Uh, and you don't, I have kind of the argument for it, and you have a little of the arguments behind these results. So, uh, we'll, I'll, I'll stop there. So, um, first a couple of words about the project that I'm in, so you know, uh, like Sarah, where I'm talking from. Um, so I'm uh, in a collective project called The Catholic Ethic and the Spirit of Global Modernities, Global Catholicism in a Danish and a Transnational Context. And it's sort of a, a rather large project where we have five people uh, looking at different language groups in the Catholic Church in Denmark. And the project started uh, last year um, and is going to uh, end in 2024. And, uh, and so we're covering all different, uh, for different forms of Catholics. Uh, in Denmark, uh, looking at the different um, uh, different forms of modernity, which is a bit, and I'm I'm now again referencing you, Sarah. I'm like caught in the modernity thing. <laughs> so we really have to talk about secularism and modernity and that sort of thing, but also moral values and uh, everyday ethical um, practices. Right, uh, and I've also put our research questions in there, so you can just see uh, what our main areas of focus are. So that's where I'm sort of speaking from and I'm, um, I'm in charge of 
looking at Filipino Catholics uh, and also doing an overall survey um, on all the different Catholic groups, also Danish Catholics in Denmark. And I also did my PhD on Filipino Catholics in Copenhagen. So, um, yeah, so I'm just sort of continuing that in the current project. So that's sort of where I'm speaking from. And uh, throughout uh, the presentation, I'll sort of try to bring in examples from my own material um, to sort of support or maybe challenge some of the, the points by Magdalena. And Magdalena, thank you very much for this, uh, your paper uh, and the presentation. And I sort of love when it's open. <laughs> so thank you very much for that. It's very stimulating to think with you. <laughs> um, right, so I have three points today. Um, I have the first point, uh, which concerns family, as we also uh, heard uh, Magdalena talk a lot about, um, as a structure for religious transmission, and how can we think family, and what is family really about? And then my second point uh, concerns the space thing. So the congregational space, how does that differ from other spaces? And how can we think congregation as like a particular analytical sort of uh, entity? Um, and then the third point, mig migrant congregations and the question of endogamy and exogamy. Uh, so, so that's sort of very, somehow also very sociological. Uh, so I'll return to that at the end. Right. So first of all, so I, I try to think with, with the family, right? So family, how, can, how does that really function? And then I looked up family and uh, generational religious transmission. Uh, and uh, I found this book from 2020, uh, authored by Christian Smith and Amy Adamczyk, uh, where they compare different religious traditions, uh, like Mormons, Jews, uh, Muslims, different forms of Christian groups, um, and how they uh, transmit their religion to the next generation. Um, and of course, this is sort of, as Magdalena also mentioned, sort of very basic sociology of religion. So how does religion transmission take place? Um, and uh, the point for them uh, was that today, parenthood, if we look at parenthood as like um, how that has shifted through time, then you would see across the different religious traditions that it is uh, very much concerned with the child. And you sort of, um, uh, you sort of invest in your child in a different way today than you would do just 20 years ago, or maybe 40 years ago. Uh, so this idea of children as an investment, and also that the parents are the main responsible people for the religious upbringing. So again, taking it back to the family where people live. And, and I, of course, this will lead to the next question of what is congregation then? How does that, how does that differ from what's going on in the family, in the onion? Um, and uh, so just keeping in mind that, uh, that people sort of tend to see their children as sort of an investment. Um, and they spend much more time today with a child than would do uh, if, uh, for children growing up in the 50s and the 60s. So, so it's different today. Um, and of course, when you look at religious transmission, then the main uh, indicator for transmission is parent religiosity. So if the parents are very religious and very practicing, then the child would also be very religious and very practicing. And that's sort of the main uh, indicator for that sort of thing. So again, what, what, what does that mean for the congregation? How can we measure what's going on in the congregation compared to uh, the religious practice taking place at home? Um, and uh, they also ask the parents, how do they view congregations? 
And the parents would say, across different religious traditions, that they would see the congregations as a place of formal religious education. So, so they would have the formal, the children would be sort of formally educated. They would sort of start this moral cultivation uh, where they would turn out to be good people because they would learn a sense of right and wrong in the congregations. So that's what the parents sort of view, how they view the congregations. Uh, and of course, you also have a community feeling, positive social relations, and also, uh, as we talked a lot about at this, in this conference, the transmission of native culture, uh, whatever that means. Um, right, so, so my question would be, so how is the family narrated? Oh, I question you, my dear. <laughs> um, and who's responsible for the children's religious upbringing? Would you say that, that it's less child-centric what's going on in the congregation? compared to what we would know or what we can see from other studies. Um, so what's the congregation? Um, and again, uh, comparing to the Filipino Catholics, um, I've done fieldwork in a church called St. Anne's Church in Amar, which is in, um, past Copenhagen in Denmark. Um, and of course, in, in the Catholic Church, uh, families sit together, so it's different um, than what we hear here. And, and the family is very, uh, is very family-centered. Um, and also, you show social status uh, by showing up as a family. So the more family members in the church, the higher social status in the church. So that will also sort of generate um, uh, goodwill towards you, because uh, you, you've managed to get your whole family and all your children to go to, go to church together with you. So, so I think that's sort of also a very important point um, at least from my material, that is family-centered, and thereby also that is um, it's, it's given status to sit as a family, which is something completely different from your material. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so the next question is congregational space. So how can we, how can you um, use, how can you think in terms of bringing your material to say something different or something special? because you only have material from the churches. So how can we use that analytically in a good way uh, and really say that actually you see other, uh, other formation, family formations in a church that is otherwise sort of, uh, that we're blind to if we look too much into the, the layer idea or onion idea of the family. Uh, and so I was sort of thinking in terms of, you mentioned like the difference between the church room and then the lobby. And so just sort of, basic ideas of sort of the front stage and the backstage if we think of Irvin Goffman. So what's going on in the front stage, uh, in the church room? Uh, and I can see at least from my material with Filipino Catholics, uh, the church room for them is a very normative space. That's where you enter. And when you enter in the church room, you're, you're very public somehow. Uh, and then you're less public uh, or more backstage when you're in the lobby. Yes, you're still public in some sense, that's true. But, um, but I think in terms of, for instance, some of my um, uh, informants tell me that they, um, they see, uh, when they enter the church, they see it's a so, some form of religious cultivation. And they're very aware of how they dress. And if they see, I mainly talk to elderly Filipinos, so if they see younger Filipinos, like Filipino au pairs, the really short, uh, short and very really tight jeans, and maybe a tank top, they would really sort of try to uh, look very sort of strictly at them, uh, or mm -hmm. sort of try to put them in their place. That's also transmission 
<laughs> like religious transmission, right? So, so keeping up the normative ideal within the church. And also one of my um, informants told me that she tried to like dress uh, properly, like uh, without too, showing too much skin and also without showing her female body because she's aimed actually at becoming genderless in the church. So, so when you're in the church, you shouldn't think about uh, sex. You should just think about God. <laughs> and so you shouldn't dress up very much like a woman because otherwise people just have weird thoughts, the men. <laughs> so, so that's also a way of sort of making it sort of gen less gendered somehow, um, that church space. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'll just skip to the next. Uh, oh, actually, no, actually I have a point Mia here, um, uh, more here in uh, the congregational space, and that's sort of um, the idea of the normative space. So for me, at least, um, I think I thought of uh, when people explain what was going on in the church and when I saw them in the church and I also participated in the church practices, um, I would understand that as sort of a um, moral reminder that is also about morality. So, so people enter church and that could also take place in the lobby <coughs> or in the like, uh, surrounding areas of the church. But the church itself and church representatives would remind the, the Filipino Catholics about their true moral values and their true moral ideals. And that's sort of the, the constant reminder of what you should do um, as a proper Catholic, uh, which is also taking place, I think. Um, and I wanted to ask you, when you see uh, like the, 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 the sex divide, division in church, like women sit on one side and men sit on the other side, and children sort of pass back and forth um, to a certain extent, uh, then is that also taking place, not in terms of religious uh, transmission, in terms of weak or strong, but maybe uh, more in terms of they're taking, they're sort of um, participating is in this normative ideal that you have women and then you have men, and you have different practices uh, sort of um, um, related to each gender, or to each sex, sorry, um, and, uh, and that's also part of sort of taking yeah, taking part of church somehow, and that tradition that's sort of, and I really like, I think, Sarah's uh, idea of sort of church spaces as being sort of localities that sort of also, um, um, that has this sort of historical um, link that is sort of, in some senses, the church room really combines everything. So it's values, it's normative ideals, it's also history, um, and it's also sort of you taking part of that historical tradition when you are at church. So, so I think, um, in that sense, church is so many different things that it's so interesting to go into that space. <coughs> right. And uh, my third point, uh, and that's sort of, so what's special about migrant congregations? Um, and, uh, of course, we talked a lot about like, the transmission, religious transmission, and I think you can say for, like, across uh, many different migrant congregations, uh, that you have this idea of if you marry inside the group uh, or what happens when people start increasingly to marry outside of the group uh, and that's exogamy and sort of that shifting between endogamy and exogamy or sort of development of that over time is something that concerns a lot of migrant groups uh, or a lot of migrant uh, congregations uh, of course also thinking in terms of first, second and third generation uh, that we talked about 
And here I'll reference Margit Vardo. Uh, in 2015, she did a general model for migrant congregations, focusing on this exogamy and endogamy, uh, and how that's always a concern within the church um, or within the, the uh, individual congregation. And I think uh, also in terms of the project that I'm part of, um, that that's sort of a concern or sort of conundrum for all of the different language groups. How do we solve the problem of um, of excavating <laughs> when when people marry outside of the church? And from uh, the perspective of the Filipino Catholics that I've studied, uh, the majority of uh, female Filipinos um, they marry Danish secular men. And so the Filipino group in Denmark they're about 80% female. So so most of the group in itself would marry uh, Danish secular men. And that would also mean that religion transmission is sort of cut. Uh, you'd see less, uh, fewer children uh, would then uh, take communion uh, because of that secular part into that relationship. And for the church, I can say the Catholic Church in Denmark, this is very worrying. This is like a huge concern um, and something that is sort of talked about in very many different ways how to prevent that sort of slip of people into the majority secular culture. Uh, and that's very much a general thing, I think, at least in the secular countries, uh, which Katerina also mentioned it yesterday. Um, yeah, so I think those were my three points. Yeah, thank you.